Episode one. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. And transfer out, freak. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. No, blah, blah, blah. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. I'm your co-host, Scott Gardner. And I'm Chris Honeywell, your other co-host which would be make sense since there's two of us. And uh, <laughs> this week is our very first topic. We're going to start out with something, I guess, kind of controversial, is uh, file sharing and downloading and the ethics involved in that. And it's going to be a little slanted, I think, because I think we pretty much both have the same opinion about it. I think, yeah, I think we're pretty close. I, I, I know that this topic, topic has been discussed thoroughly, you know, on forums. I've heard a couple other podcasts go over it. Uh, but being brutally honest, I, I think some of the, uh, takes out there are, uh, are a bit woozy and a bit, uh, I don't know. I, I think they're a bit self-serving. So I, I think it'd be interesting to, to get into our take on the whole thing. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. And I'm sure we'll be accused of being self-serving too. With it. That's fine with me. I don't <laughs> That's what we're here myself. for. Well, I yeah, have hey, no you problem know, myself because no one else is going to do it for me. So, since, um, this is, but, since this is episode one, which is funny because we did do episode four, five, and six first, but now we're just going to episode one to start it all out. <laughs> but, no uh, jar we jar. Should, we should probably tell them who we are, why we're freaks, and why Absolutely. we're here. Absolutely. Everyone's a Captain Kirk. I'm Captain Kirk. And now, sit back and relax as we uncork a bottle of Vintage Kirk, brought to you by Master of Motor, William Shatner. What is a man but that lofty spirit, that sense of enterprise, that devotion to something that cannot be sensed, cannot be realized, but only... Dreamed the highest reality. All right, well, now I guess we're going to talk about how we got here and who we are. Like, give it a little introduction as to who we are and why we dare call ourselves two true freaks. Maybe <laughs> get it into what a true freak is and how it relates to us, perhaps. I think it, it it definitely describes us. I think that you know we've both uh, grown up with that feeling that somehow, because of our interests, our our likes, our dislikes, you know the the things that define us and the things that uh, 
you know, that we really embrace, I think, have made us kind of feel like you know, we're, we're freakish compared to the so-called normal world. Yes. Um, so, you know, the, the things that, you know, that, that we're really into would be, you know, your, your typical geek stuff, I guess. You know, your, your Star Wars, your Star Trek, uh, you know, Indiana Jones comic books. I like reading you know, my all, comics, yep. Yeah, all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I mean, I, I think it really, it all seems to, for, for the two of us, I think it really all goes back to the original Star Wars, you know, the first Star Wars movie in 77. I mean, that's what, what brought us together, so to speak. It's you know, exactly, I mean, it, you it, know, in many ways, where I am today, physically, where I'm living, the city I'm living in, and what I'm doing today is directly because of Star Wars. You know, mm-hmm. I, I came to Rochester to go to film school, and I wouldn't have gone to film... I, I remember seeing Star Wars for the first time and thinking, wow, if a movie can do that, if that's what a movie is like, you know, I want to do that. Right. That 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 was, I mean, one of, one of my first thoughts upon seeing Star Wars is like, because before that... I enjoyed movies and TV. I enjoyed them a lot. I really got into them probably more than the normal kid, but that just blew my mind. It had an extra dimension of of realism to it, actually, no matter how cartoony it, it is. Absolutely. It, 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 it brought like that combination of um, real, a real world. You know, it felt like a living, breathing world that had been there for a thousand years and had all the grit and grime and was worn down around the edges and uh well i've often described you know to to other people you know and and you know the non-geeks the non-freaks always kind of give you that strange what the hell are you talking about look but i often describe seeing star wars you know as a nine-year-old in 1977 i often equate it to a religious experience oh sure really was for me it was like you know, it was really like that was the moment that I was born, you know, geek-wise. You know what I mean? I mean, that was the moment that suddenly, suddenly it was, you know, it's like that scene in the Blues Brothers, you know, where, where uh, John Belushi goes, yes, yes, I have seen the light, you know? I mean, that's kind of how I felt walking out of the theater, you know, in, in 77 after seeing that the first time. And, and it's neat how, you know, the same movie you know, brought us together as friends, you know, introduced us to each other, but it also inspired us in very different directions. You know, it, it inspired you creatively, you know, that's what you went off to go to school for and everything. And, and it inspired me in a whole different direction as far as, you know, comic books and, and everything like that. It's, it's for, for me, it's really stayed more as a, um, you know, it, it influenced my, my likes and my, my interests, you know, my, my entertainment. So it's you know up until this podcast it you know never really influenced me creatively so to speak other than you know some scripts that you and I worked on when we were kids you know which we'll get into later but uh, but anyway you know we we met in uh, in fourth grade right in yep. uh, in seventy seven and uh, <laughs> you know it sounds it sounds really pathetic to say it but you know, we we met in seventy seven and you know in fourth grade and all. But we didn't really become close friends then. And I remember, you know, really wanting to be your friend and really, you know, wanting to, 
you know, to to be better friends. But you you hung around with a lot of a lot of other kids that weren't so much into the same thing. A lot of kids I just I guess didn't really get along with as much. And it wasn't really until later with with Empire in well, that must have been middle school, you know, where we really became really close friends. And I'm trying to remember what the specifics of that were. But then, you know, that's when I really remember us hanging around a lot more and, and you know, starting to go over to each other's houses and, and basically getting to a point where we were, you know, two inseparable friggin' hellions, you know. Yeah. Just just doing all kinds of crazy shit getting away with it, you know. Yeah, well, you know, we did, we were, we grew up in Carthage, New York, which is a really tiny, you know, t- small town. It's a village, the village Hamlet. of Carthage. And, uh, you know, there was uh, very little to do there, really, as far as, you know, compared to these days. You know, you had to go, you had to drive, what, 25 miles into Watertown to see a movie. And, uh, you know, there was a bowling alley and there were lots of bars. And really, that was about it for entertainment. You know, I never saw live music. You know, we'd have parades at at the appropriate parade times every year. It's funny looking back on it. I, I'm actually much more nostalgic about it than I probably than it probably deserves. But I look back on it now, and it, it seems very Rockwellian to me. You know, very much yes. like the ideal, you know, little perfect American town, which it definitely was not. But you know, it, it, it's neat looking back on on it. You know, how much like the world of like comicdom has changed because you know, back then for us, you know, there were no comic book stores. You know, there wasn't any geek places you know i mean i can remember you know we used to go to the the local cigar shop and that's where yep. we bought our comic books from on an old-fashioned hey kids comic spinner rack you know and yep I kinda, and, uh, I, I, actually i kind of miss that you know as, as advanced as comic collecting has become with you know previews and ordering your shit six months in advance and all that kind of stuff i kind of miss the old you know wander into the into the local corner drugstore or cigar store or whatever, and you just kind of had to pick from whatever the hell was on the rack that week. You know, it was it was this little simpler. You know, there were less comic. I mean, you had on the rack you had DC and Marvel and a few Archies stuck on there, and then remember over in the magazine racks, that's where the the crummy Charlton comics would end up. <laughs> All the Charlton with the really horrible artwork. You know, yeah. the Charlton War comics and. I tell you what, of superheroes. that shit up if we could ever go back in time to those days. I'd scoop a lot of that stuff up. Yeah, <laughs> did it become valuable? Not so much. It's it's just that it's I don't know. Somehow it interests me now because it it was that kind of off the beaten path. You know, you don't yep. see it all the time kind of stuff. And you know, a lot of the a lot of the people that became you know something later on kind of kind of you know cut their teeth there. You know, like John Byrne did some early work there, and you know just some different guys, but. It's funny, you know, it's funny how many comics I've been able to track down over the years that I can distinctly remember being on that spinner rack as a kid, you know, when we'd go in there like every week or every couple of days, you know, hunting the new books. And, you know, because back then it was a matter of, you know, you didn't ever know what was coming out, you know, you had to just kind of grab them as they came out. And if you weren't there, you know, when the new stuff hit the rack, then, you know, you might miss an issue or... You know, you'd get to it late after, you know, 50 other kids had gone through everything and they were all bent to shit, you know, so you had to get in there, you know, every so often and, and see the new stuff. And I I don't know, there's something kind of nostalgic about those days that I, I kind of miss, you know, compared yeah. to the, you know, ordering them through the internet three or four months in advance and, you know, getting them in the mail kind of thing. It, 
it's taken a little bit of the magic out of it for me. That same that same cigar store was my source and your source for um, Star Wars cards too. Mm-hmm. And I and before I even got into comics, I used to measure my allowance by how many packs of Star Wars cards <laughs> I could get out of it, you know. And uh, you know the old school with the stick of crappy cracking gum, you know, the the gum that just like broke apart, shattered into little dry pieces. You'd have to chew it a while to get it into a sort of gummy, chalky blob. You know, you'd have to chew about seven of them to get a decent sized wad of gum, and then it was kind of hard and crap. It was just, it was, I think for some reason, probably for some legal reason to sell it as candy or something, they had to have some sort of candy in it, so they just put the cheapest, like half cardboard, half gum gum in that stuff to, to, to sell it to us. It was basically better than chewing a card, but that's yes. about the nicest thing you could say about it. You know? Although, although I'll tell you, I can still smell it, you know, when you oh, pick yeah. up a, a fresh pack, a wax paper pack of Star Wars cards. Those were the days when they packed your Star Wars cards in wax paper, and we oh. ordered them by the pound. <laughs> I, I can remember walking whatever the distance was from the apartments we lived in we had to walk like halfway across town yep. like past the cemetery and stuff to this little shop that would let you uh recycle pepsi bottles and i would i would if if i was willing to do that then my parents would let me keep whatever the money was that i would make off the recycling and i would always use that money to buy star wars cards so I was I was desperate for Star Wars cards in those days, but uh, we all were. And when the new you know when a new color would come out, a new color series, oh Hachi Machi, you know I remember the green when the green color series mm-hmm. came out. They were they for some reason they weren't around for very long, and it was crazy that there was you know that was when the demand for something there was no eBay demand. It was all. It was all us kids getting together in the schoolyard, you know, and it was just like, oh, look at the stack of green cards that kid has, you know. That was currency in those days, like cigarettes in prison. Hell yeah, it was. And, that, and you know, and that's, that's the thing about Carthage. I think about it now. When I was there, I thought of it as prison. The school <laughs> was like a prison. Everything was just like, and... Um, and and you know and it had it was Rockwellian downtown Carthage was very you know the old house houses all painted nicely with nice trim and then but it was a mill town you know it was basically built around you know two paper mills right in Carthage and Deferia and you know uh, you know a good chunk of the people there were working at the working at the mill as 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 you know full well like what a my, my parents were yeah right what a what a what a way of life that was you know your dad was just working like a dog yeah it was it was like that it was like the uh that billy joel allentown song that came in the 80s you know we could kind of identify with it because it was just this it was this paper mill town and you know there weren't really too many options there you know no, no, there as far as what and if you wanted to do something creative there really wasn't an awful lot you could do you could 
Well, I mean, what was the most creative stuff coming out of that area was, like, maybe out of the TV stations in Watertown, you had Danny Burgess doing his show, and... <laughs> And Ward, the Ward Hamilton show. Don't don't forget the Ward Hamilton show. Oh, God. And uh, that was about it. You know, there was there was no real radio. There was some AM radio. It was it was just a cultural wasteland that we sort of grew up in. And all we had was like each other and like towns to you know a few small towns to rampage through. I tell you what, though, one one nice thing about you know the the paper mill being there in town and. You know, and then of course when my mother worked there, and, and we lived for a time directly across the street from the paper right. mill, was that she would come home with stacks and stacks of uh, coverless comics that were uh-huh. going, you know, they were going to be pulped, you know, they were going to be recycled. And she did, and I think I had an uncle that worked there that used to hook her up with a lot of comics too, because he knew that I like comics. And then when we moved to where we lived across the street. I don't know if you ever went with me, but I used to sneak over there all the time. You know, and I'd sneak oh, over sure. into the recycling area and go through, and you know, I'd find you know like comics and Playboys and you know cracked magazines. See, that's what I remember. I would remember that that street. There was always pieces of debris that would blow out of there, yeah, and you would right. every once in a while you'd find a piece of pornography. <laughs> And, That's you know, true. a piece of Mad Magazine or something just sort of flopping around, flying out of there. Yep. That's true. Man, I I still to this day, you know, I'm still working my way through replacing comics in my own collection that are that are coverless, you know, with a with a that good you got from there. Yeah, with a good copy. And I I've, I've managed to replace most of them, but I've still got a, a couple. As a matter of fact, I went to a really good sale a couple of days ago and uh I went in the back room area, which I'm not sure I was really supposed to be back there and, and pawing through some stuff. And uh, I came across some old Strange Tales with uh, Dead Man by Neil Adams. You know, some really nice stuff. And several of the issues that I bought for, I mean, a buck, they were only a dollar. And, you know, these are issues that go for a hefty price in the condition that they were in. Um, I got them home, and they were actually ones I already had, but I had them as coverless, so I was really happy to to bought some that you know replaced, you know, some coverless issues in my collection. So I've got you know really, I mean, some of those Neil Adams covers on those were absolutely gorgeous. So, but that was neat. It kind of took me back to to those times because I, you know, that that was the days back then, man. For especially for comics, you know, living where we lived, you know, across from the paper mill, and then you know those were the days you know, you'd go to. You know, yard sales and rummage sales, and there was always comic books at yard sales and rummage sales in those days. I go now, and I'll go you know, every once in a while. I'll get an itch, and I'll go, and I'll spend an entire day, and won't find a goddamn single one. You know, and it's like, oh, you know. Well, you know, we we also had our Obi Wan Kenobi too. That was uh, <laughs> Walt Hadley. Yeah. And we could go over to his house, and he was, a, you know, a history of comic books. He would he would patiently i mean we were goofballs as a matter of fact i remember our social studies teacher who was also the mayor of carthage called up my father one day and i came home and my father's like you know your teacher called up today and he said you and your friend scott gardner are a couple goofballs <laughs> and i said really and he said goofballs you're a couple goofballs and i just started laughing <laughs> he had us because we were Oh, yeah, it was absolutely true, and I was just like, and he's not a goofball. 
I mean, he was he was your pretty pretty stereotypical goofball, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so I guess it takes one to know one. But yeah, we I mean we would show up at his house and just just sort of show up there and like this in the Walt, middle of his day. Walt Hadley, Walt, sorry, yeah, Walt Hadley, not Mr. Kennehan. <laughs> Walt Hadley, he was. Uh, for the listeners, Walt Hadley, he was what, probably fifties or so, would you say? Yeah. Probably late fifties. And this was a guy that I was introduced to by the librarian of the local library. Now she got sick of me coming in there all the time and I would they actually had comic books at the library for rent. Which I mean I've never seen that in any other library in my life. But they had a, a measly stack of maybe 20, 30 issues, you know, they were pretty ragged, and I would rent the issues out, and then if I liked them, I'd replace them with some shitty issue from my own collection and take it back. Bring them back. And I never realized <laughs> that this was annoying the piss out of the librarian. So finally, one day, she said, you know, if you like comic books so much, and you know, you really want to read new ones and different ones, and, and basically, I think what she was saying is, stop stealing my good Leave ones. Leave me alone, yeah. You need to go talk to a guy at the end of the street. And, uh, you know, she told me, you know, about him. I don't know if she even gave me his name and sent me down there. And when I went there the first time, I was a little bit mortified to find out that he was the father of a girl we went to school with. Her name was Marsha Hadley. Now, Marsha was like the Carrie of our school. The poor girl was like just, oh, she was just tormented in school because she was not beautiful she was a little bit messed up looking but you know the family was very poor they were poor they didn't wash properly they you know their their clothes were kind of scurvy and nasty and you know and but i felt really bad for her but you know but i braved you know this haunted looking house that they had and went and i knocked at the door and i met walt and somehow or other warmed my way into his life and it turned out, now here was this guy who was 50-ish. I don't know what the hell he did for an income or if he even, even really had an income. But in this little den, this little dark, weird den that he had in his house. With a cot over yeah. in the corner that he probably slept in all the time, you know. Here was this other world. I mean, here was this man's life collection of comic books. And I'm talking, he had shit that went back to, like, the golden age of comics. Now, I didn't see a lot of the really valuable stuff that he claimed to have had because he wouldn't, until I learned, and he taught me how to handle comics. Because I remember one time I bought one from him, and I think it was, like, an early Superboy that I bought from him. Like, one of those, like, giant issues, you know, like an 80-page giant type of thing with, like, Superboy and Mon-El or something. Yes. And I bought it for, like, five bucks roll it up and put it in my back pocket and ride my bike home, you know? And it pissed him off. So the next time I went there, I heard about this. And he was basically like, look, if you ever do that again, don't ever come to my house again. And I learned a valuable lesson about, you know, how comic books were to be treated. You know, because, you know, this man had spent his life collecting this collection, and now he was nice enough to allow me in his home, into his very personal sanctum, to buy comic books from him, and I was being a typical, you know, 10, 12-year-old kid and, you know, wadding them up and putting them in my back pocket. And it was, yeah. you know, it was offending him. So, you know, I learned a valuable lesson. But, I mean, really, he taught me a lot about 
you know, I mean, because, you know, up to that point, I was reading whatever the hell was on the rack, you know. And here was a guy who was a who was a wealth of knowledge of a whole other world of comic books that I wasn't even aware existed that went all the way yes. back to the, the Golden Age. And, you know, he had, you know, Dells and he had old, you know, Captain Mar you know, Fawcett Captain Marvel comics. And he had, you know, so he claimed he had like, a you know, Spider-Man from one up and stuff like that. And it just I mean, just amazing. I mean, I learned so much and. And really valued that. And I mean, there's a lot of comics in my own collection today that I know that I still, to this day, would never have even been able to touch, let alone own, if it weren't for meeting and, and, and striking up a, a friendship with Walt. And I mean, I, you know, you know, of course, you know, you and I grew up together and we were friends all through, you know, high school. And then after graduating, you know, and after I got out of the, you know, I did a brief stint in the service and after got out, you know, you and I lived together for a while and then kind of, you know, we've always remained friends, but then we kind of, you know, drifted apart distance wise. You know, I, I've since moved to Georgia and that's where I live now and you're still living in, in Rochester. You know, a number of years have gone by and, and out of the blue, my, my mother sends me a, a I think it was a card or something that she sent with like little news things and everything. And here was an obituary for Walt Hadley. And I'm telling you, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It, it really just broke my heart because being away as long as I have now from New York, and I've only really been back a couple of times, there's this tendency in your mind that, you know, things don't change. People don't age. You know, you still see people as you know as they were you know yes. 10 10 15 years ago and you don't realize that you know somebody who was in his late 50s when you were a kid you know now 20 years later you know they're getting to that mortality age you know and he was never what you would consider a healthy guy oh. he was overweight and you know probably ate ate poorly i th he's i think he chain smoked too if i, I recall he did yeah i think he did smoke yeah i can't remember but i think he did but yeah, it, it really it really hit me, and uh, and that was one of the things that I was really wanted to touch on uh, in this show, and, and it's very fitting that we touch on it in the first show. I mean, Walt really had a, a hell of an impact in my life, and, and I and I believe he did in yours too, even though you know you weren't quite into the comics quite as much as I was, or, or stayed in it as much as I have. But uh, I know that he he. He pegged you as he pegged you as liking the superhero stuff, and he pegged me as liking the more abstract stuff. Because he always used to pawn off like the spirit comics to me, yeah, and the and the the Warren Erie comics and stuff like that. And so, and he sort of got he sort of sent us off in different directions, you know. He did. He, I mean, you and he were a lot closer because you're the one who sought him out and. You spent a lot more time with him, but you would drag me over there. You dragged me over there the first time, and then we would go over there like all the time. Right. We'd get bored and just go and pester him. But uh, yeah, he did. He he sort of sent us comic-wise in two different directions. But he was the first person. You know, my father was an antique person, so I met a lot of antique collectors. But he was the first comic book collector, which was a lot more interesting to me than furniture <laughs> or anything like that. You know. That was something I could identify with a lot more. But uh, hey, let's uh, let's flash forward though, like 20, 30 years, <laughs> to uh, how how we ended up here. Now I'm sort of a newcomer to podcasts to so listen to them. Definitely, I'm a newcomer to uh, recording them. Although I've had like some background um, 
editing film and stuff like that, so the technical aspect is kind of fun to me, but I, I've just started listening to my first podcast like in the last couple weeks because of you, and uh, you're, the, you're, you're sort of the instigator of this whole thing. Yeah. Now, how, did, how did that come about? Well, it, it's funny. It, it, it came about for me, um, I, I work nights at my job, and I... For a brief time, I got transferred to the day shift and, and was just thrilled with that. That didn't work out for very long because the guy that I meticulously trained to be my replacement promptly quit about a week after I went to day. So I had to go back to nights again. And when I went back to nights, I told my wife, I said, look, I hate this fucking job. And the only way I'm going to go back to this night thing and be able to put up with this for another God knows how long until they hire a replacement for me. I've got to have an MP3 player. I felt like it was time to join the 21st century, and everybody that I know has one, and I didn't. So so she let me break down and put about 100 bucks on the Best Buy card, and I went out and I bought a really nice MP3 player. And I remember hearing, you know, all this talk about podcasts, podcasts, and I didn't know what the hell a podcast was, but I decided, well, I'm going to check it out and see what, a, what this whole podcasting thing is all about. So I, I started wandering around, and I, you know, I, I found different ones. And uh, the neat thing about podcasts is, you know, there's something for everybody out there. No matter what your interest is, there's a podcast for you. And you know, being a comic book guy, I wandered around, and of course, I, I ended up finding uh, Comic Geek Speak, and was immediately hooked. You know, I, by that point, they were a good probably 275 episodes in or something. I, I mean, I was so hooked by it. I went back to episode one and listened straight on through and I've been listening ever since. And then, you know, from listening to those guys, um, started listening to, you know, other ones like, uh, like half hour wasted and, uh, um, quiet panelologists at work. And then, uh, they've gotten me into some other, you know, people, um, uh, Chris Johnson over at uh, Amazing Spidercast is a good show. Um, Make It So, which is a Star Trek-based podcast, absolutely hysterical podcast. Um, Tom versus the JLA, World's Finest podcast. And uh, one of the earliest ones I listened to that I still listen to and really enjoy is uh, Ricky Briganti over at uh, Inside the Magic. That's a Walt Disney World-based um, podcast. And, and one that's similar to his show is uh, Lou Mangello at... Uh, the WDW radio show podcast. It's another Walt Disney World based podcast. So I'm listening to all these different casts and a bunch of others that I've kind of I kind of dabble with or, or, or listen to, and then you know kind of kind of lost interest to. I really got interested in listening to them, but also in listening to them, I, I started to kind of realize what I liked, what I didn't like and, and taking bits and pieces, I, I got to thinking, you know, this is something I would really like to do myself you know talking about the things that interest me you know, comics and movies and that sort of thing but I didn't have the technical know-how for it and, you know, you and I have always been best friends, you know, all these years and and I really thought, you know, I wonder if this is something that Chris would be interested in. So, you know, t calling you and, and saying, you know, what do you think about this? You know, have you heard about podcasts? You know, I'd really like to do this, blah, blah, blah. And having you get so excited about it. And then on top of it, you know, actually knowing something about the technical side to where you could actually do the technical heavy lifting. I mean, that, that's just been a blessing. I mean, it's it's really cool. And, and I'm really looking forward to the show. Just for Well, I'll, I'll say this. I'm no tech person. <laughs> 
but I but I I'm familiar with the 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 idea of the technology involved. So, you know, we're going by the skin of our teeth now. So if there's anybody out there listening <laughs> who has any critiques or advice that they want to send my way, feel free to because <laughs> I'll I'll take any any help I I I can get. But I'm having a lot of fun learning how to do it and just learning about it and doing well, it. I knew that I knew that this was going to be something that we would really enjoy and really sink our teeth into when the night that I called you and pitched the idea, we ended up on the phone for what, like six hours? Just talk. Well, we do that anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whenever we get on the exactly. phone. Exactly. And that, that, was really, that was really what I wanted this show to be. I wanted this to basically be what it's like when you and I get on the phone to each other because we end up talking about you know, we, you know, we get the pleasantries out of the way. You know, how's your mom? How's your dad? How's your sister? We do those kind of things. But then it turns right into, okay, did you see Indiana Jones? Did you see Hulk? Yeah. Did you see this? Did you see that? What are you reading? You know, oh, wasn't the last issue of Walking Dead really good? You know, and it's all the same geek shit that I'm listening to on these podcasts. It's like, why don't I just do a show about this? You know, because other people have got to be interested in the same thing. And, you know, we can't be any worse than anybody else. You know, a couple of assholes with our opinions. So I'm like, cool, let's let's do a show about it. And, well, Might as well. Yeah, exactly. I hope it's... I, I need some sort of outlet to blow my mouth off, you know. Maybe it'll help me uh, keep quiet in real life, you know. Oh, you and me both. You and me both. I, I can definitely rant with the best of them. So that's basically our show. That's, uh, you know, that's the kind of things that we hope to cover. Um, little of this, little of that, you know. Some Star Wars, some Star Trek, um, and if you have you know suggestions about you know things that you'd like to hear us talk about, rant about, uh, give our opinion about you know whatever, um, let us know. We uh, we we can be contacted at uh, you know, we have a Gmail address. It's two true freaks at gmail.com. That's T W O the word the word two spelled out T W O truefreaks.com. And uh, was there anything else you wanted to talk about before the break? No, I think we're about ready to, to go into a break, and then we'll start talking about the whole uh, downloading mess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I bet you are. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. The Two True Freaks podcast has been sponsored by Dufo DiManzo of DiManzo Corp of Milan, Italy, purveyors of fine D-rate media across the entire world. <coughs> Hang on. That's disgusting. Ah. <clears throat> I wonder if this show would go a little smoother if I was half in the bag. <laughs> like, like cracking open a beer every once in a while? Yeah, I should do that. Yeah, but when I don't drink I don't drink beer, but you know, a couple a couple comic Aussies or fuzzy navels would probably <laughs> right up. <laughs> yeah, I'm not much of a drinker, but I'll, maybe maybe we should do a special show where we like 
That's we okay. Go, I'll be happy to make up for your end, too. We go drink for drink. <laughs> oh and I'll God. be hashified by the end. I'll just be like, I love that. Because... Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll we have see. to we have to introduce our, our our listeners to the wonders of Pete Hatch at some time. Oh yeah. Slowly they'll get all of our stories and what. Slowly my... we'll we'll work. You, you guys keep listening. We'll work Pete Hatch into this eventually. You'll learn all about uh, about Pete. But uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and dive into this topic. And I'm I'm gonna let you run with this one right out of the gate because I, I think you have a, a much more uh, a linear approach to your your rant about the whole thing mine is just a rant from pure emotionally being pissed off about the whole thing so. yes mine is Since- more logical <laughs> logic it's not i don't th- well I'll, I'll just say right off the bat that both of us are are proponents of file sharing whether it be you know napster or using BitTorrent sites or you know any an e-donkey or any of those you know, of Soulseek, any of the myriad of ways that you can uh, peer-to-peer file share. Absolutely. And um, personally, I've never had a problem. I've never had a moral problem with it at all from the very beginning. I've, there's never been a struggle in my mind, you know, nope. as to whether what I was doing was right or wrong, you know, and and. And I'll I'll say when I, if if I do something wrong I'll I feel it you know if I if I do something wrong I definitely feel guilt from it and it chews at me or there's something something a little sketchy you know you get a feel I've never had that feeling with this and and I've had m- most of the people around me you know you can that you can see they're sort of sketchy about it they don't know how to feel and I don't know if it's honestly how they feel within themselves. Or if they're worried about how other people will think of them as a thief, you know, it's like when you see the TV commercials for cable theft and it's like, you know, Mr. Policeman, where are you taking daddy? Your daddy's a cable thief. Nobody thought that it was a crime. Have you seen those commercials that are at the beginning of movies now? I haven't seen it in a while, but for a while, movies were coming out. And they had a thing at the beginning of these things that honestly yes. offended me. And it takes a hell of a lot to offend me, yeah. but they actually <laughs> did offend me. It was it would show somebody swipe a purse. And then it would say, You wouldn't steal a purse. And then it would show somebody like steal a car. You wouldn't steal a car. Or would I? And then it would show somebody downloading a movie and go, you know, downloading is a car. First of all, you don't fucking know me. How do you know I'm not gonna go steal a car? I think that's I think that's rather presumptuous exactly. of you to assume that if I need a ride, I'm not going to go steal a car. Hey, you know. But besides that, that's what Grand Theft Auto see, teaches us. I have a <laughs> I have a problem with the whole illegal yes. label that slapped on this from the get go. Yes. And you know because is it really? I mean, if I if I come over to you and say. Chris, I'm reading this comic, man. It's fucking great. You've got to read this. And I hand you a stack of my Walking Dead comics and say, I want you to read this. When you're done, give them back. Let me know what you think. Where the hell is the difference between that and me getting on the internet and saying, Chris, you got to read this. Let me scan issue number such and such for you and uh, send it to you. Read it and tell me what you think. Well, there's Where, there's what, a difference. The difference? The, uh, the difference is the the way it would be the same is 
is if you said, hey, you should read these Walking Dead comics, and then you took them to the library and photocopied them and stapled them together and gave them to me and said, here, here's a copy of it. Then we both end up with a copy of it, you with the original, me with a dupe. With just lending them, it's still the only one. If I decide that I hate you and I'm going to keep your comics and never talk to you again, you're gonna have, if you want them back, you got to go out and buy them again. That's, that's sort of the difference, but... It's still, I think, before it even gets to that point, it doesn't reach the crime aspect of it, you know? It, the, 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 the crime aspect of it is flat out, like, provable, and, you know, you put it in front of any lawyer, any judge, and say you've downloaded the new Metallica album without paying for it, and you have it on your computer, you're gonna lose in court over that, you know? It's, it's plainly, you know... the um, well, maybe not, but most of the time you are. But, at the same time, do I think it should should be illegal? I don't think it should be illegal at all. It, or if it is illegal, I don't think it's something that should be getting the attention paid to it that it is. I don't think it's really an enforceable law, and I don't think enforcing it would do any good. Anyway. It's, it's, it's a sort of, uh, in the worst case scenario to me, it's a sort of damage control issue where the companies like the record industry and the movie industry will have to shift the way they do things in order to keep themselves from losing money from this. Or in the best case scenario, it's actually going to make them more money, which is actually more of where I'm leaning. I think... I think the internet and the availability of everything on the internet, basically now, from, from where we were as kids to where we are now, basically the internet is like this magic thing that it's beyond, like the technology of the original Star Trek. It's this, it's this amazing thing where, you know, if you, want, if you want that Billy Joel album that you heard 20 years ago, or, you know, or even if you want that... Especially if you want that Root Boy Slim album, you know, that nobody's ever heard about. And you know who I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> what is it? Root Boy Slim and the Sex Change Band, was it? I can't remember. But, um, it's, it's there. You can find it on the internet, or you can find someone with, who has it, who wants to share it with you. So, well, bas- don't, basically... Don't you think to a degree that this is a, a, a somewhat fabricated war anyway? Sure. I mean, it's... it's. I, I think because of the internet and because of that ready availability that you're talking about, that suddenly this has become an issue, whereas before it was always around, you know, and it wasn't really an issue. I mean, there have always been copyright laws. But yes. who the hell ever enforced them? Back when we were in the days of eight tracks and records and cassette tapes, you know, there were bootlegs back then. You know, I had a sweet bootleg three-disc album of uh, Pink Floyd that I bought at a record store, at and a you, friggin' record store. And, and you know and you, why? It, oh, it's the enforcement back then. And, and, you know. and do you know why it was a bootleg? Because you couldn't get it anywhere else. That right. It was sort of forced out into, you know... It was forced out by people's demand for for Pink Floyd, you know. They wanted to hear that, and Pink Floyd wasn't... A fi- if Pink Floyd had officially released it, they would have all bought it, you know. Which they did. Eventually, yeah. yeah. 
for the for the concert that I got and paid a fortune for it. About a year later, they re- really produced an album of the very same. Oh, really? Tour. Yeah, it was it was the uh, momentary lapse of reason. Momentary tour. lapse of reason tour. Absolutely, yeah, it was. And so I ended up selling the bootleg that I had on eBay, you know, sure. years later. But you know, which which actually that lends into a point. One of the main points I wanted to make on this whole argument, and I mean, you, I think you feel much more passionately and much in a much more logical, non-emotional sense on this whole argument. I've really what, been involved in it for a long time. I've really been sort of studying it and interested in it since Napster started. See, you touched upon a point that gets me on this whole argument, which is, you know. If you don't want me downloading stuff, you know, when it, especially like when it comes to music, uh, I'll use music as the perfect example. You know, produce a quality product that's not going to insult my intelligence with its price or its content. You know, I'll use a, a good example. I collect movie soundtracks, you know, the orchestral scores to films. There was one that was put out a while ago for Superman Returns by John Ottman. Now the thing costs what's the, what's your average CD cost these days? Eighteen bucks, 16, sixteen to nineteen bucks, somewhere in that range. You know, and the thing runs thirty forty minutes. It's got a token twelve to fifteen tracks, and it's shoddily put together. About the same time that that came out at stores on the bootleg circuit on the internet comes out a sweet two disc complete score by John Ottman to the movie. It's basically got every musical cue that's in the movie free on the internet. If you know where to look for it. Now, why in the hell didn't Warner brothers or whoever released that soundtrack, put that out as their album because they're cheap. They wanted to do it as quickly and cheaply with as less work as possible and make, you know, they were, they were not counting on it being a big seller. So they were just hoping to sell a whole bunch of them at the beginning to everybody who'd want them. And then they'd realize it was crappy. And then down the line, they'll sell it to you again in a nice package for more money. And then you'll have to buy the whole thing all over again. And probably, you know, I mean, the way, I mean, either somebody somehow separated the music from the movie, which I doubt you could do, like from a DVD or something like that, or even from a movie theater, probably someone involved in the scoring process of it saw that and um, decided, you know, I'm going to leak this out onto the internet because this is what people really deserve. And they priority bought the crappy version and are going, what the hell is this? Right. And uh, a very similar thing happened... With um, between Bob Dylan and the Grateful Dead of all people, they uh, did a tour together, where they would, uh, where the Grateful Dead were Bob Dylan's backing band, and Bob Dylan put out a, a live concert recording of it, where you know it was, it was maybe like eight or nine songs, picked from various different concerts, and it was really boring. It was awful. And it was a really good tour, and the the Grateful Dead were kind of like didn't have anything to do with the process of making that 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 particular CD. So they took their they took their recordings of the band warming up together, you know, just learning songs and 
and proposing, you know, playing back and forth, and they and they put those out as a as a bootleg, so people could see <laughs> what it really, you know, what it how lively it actually was, and it was sort of in response to having this a weak pro, you know, it was response to a weak product, and 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 it's a response to a demand that's there that's mm-hmm. not being met, right. And that that's that's my whole That's how the that's where the trouble whole started with the internet, you know. Before the internet, every time there was a new format, you know, the the all the media companies would go berserk because they thought videotapes that's going to take money out of our pockets. And each time, they sort of kicking and screaming, they caught up with the times and they found ways to make money off it. Right. You know. And um and then with the internet, when the internet started up and, you know, there were, it was starting to get big and there were people on there who would have loved to go to iTunes and buy, you know, an MP3 of, of a song or go to somebody's website and, and get it. But they couldn't do it because the record companies were very gun shy of the internet and they didn't know, you know. We don't want to try to sell it because if people are able to like download it and pay for one of them, then they can make copies of it, and then they can sell it or they can share it and all that. And they worried and fretted, so they didn't do anything with it. They they dragged their heels about about and and if they did try to do something, it wasn't usually very user friendly, and it was either expensive or just a rip off or very hard to use, and so. Naturally, people just started figuring out their own way, and that's how Napster sort of came out of necess- right. necessity. Right. And uh, Napster was, I remember being sort of dragged into it, somebody saying, oh, you know, we were looking for a song to, to listen to, and oh, I'll use Napster to bring, oh, what's Napster? And I was like, wow, that's a fascinating fascinating idea you know you can share files with people who have other files and uh, I started using it regularly and I was using it basically to get obscurities you know stuff right. that I couldn't find anywhere else oh my god that, look what this what guy's got on Friendster that's what brought me Napster. into the entire file sharing thing and and to a large degree I mean I, I won't you know pretend that I don't download you know the you know, some brand new album that just came out from time to time. I, you know, I won't deny that, but for the most part, that's really where I have my problem with this whole argument that, oh, it's wrong, it's wrong, because I think in a lot of ways, it is filling a, a niche that we can't, you know, we, we can't fill any other way. I mean, I know myself, you know, again, using the, the soundtrack uh, analogy, 99.9 of percent of the stuff that I download musically speaking is not commercially available they're not making it available to me so I have to seek it out on the internet if I want it but I mean it does eventually drive when it works the in, in a proper way it does eventually drive the companies to produce something you know a a couple examples I, I could cite would be uh you know, for years, there were bootlegs out there of certain soundtracks, like uh, Young Sherlock Holmes was one of them, um, Superman 2, different ones that floated all over the internet, and most of them were of a pretty piss-poor quality sound-wise. But eventually, by 
the companies realizing, look, these are out there floating around the internet and we're not making a penny off of them, it basically forced them to evaluate, well, do we want to produce this so that we can make the penny that's not currently being made? And the same thing was was true for some movies, Uh, like Aliens, the special edition comes to mind. You know, here was a movie that was available at every comic book convention or every sci-fi convention that you could go to. And eventually, uh, 20th Century Fox or whoever it is that makes that movie decided, well, shit, why aren't we making the money off of this? So they took it, they went back, they remastered it, and that's the version that's now available when you buy that movie. And that's the kind of thing that really got me into the whole file sharing is the stuff that... You know, God damn it! I would pay for it if they would put it out there, but they don't. You know, they'll they'll produce some soundtrack, and it'll be you know, fifteen tracks long, thirteen in tracks, or some shitty rock and roll tune that's probably not even in the movie, and then you get two token tracks of actual score, and they're putting it out and charging eighteen dollars for it, and it's like you know that's not what I want. You know, when I want the movie soundtrack, I want the orchestral score. You know, I don't want some vanilla ice rapping bullshit. You know, I mean, give me what I want, and I will pay you for it. But until they put you know these quality things out there, yeah, I'm gonna go download you know the uh, you know recording sessions that someone you know has snuck out of the studio or whatever and posted on the internet. Hell yeah, I will because that's what I want. You know. Well, I- I'm going to speak here as as a typical com- consumer, which I I don't think I am a typical consumer, but as a consumer with a budget of money that I can spend, which is decidedly low. <laughs> Me too. But but the, but I think this goes for people in every price bracket is that you have a certain amount of money that you spend on entertainment, whether it be going to the movies, buying a brand new album on CD, buying a DVD, something like that. You have a certain amount of money that you, you spend on that. And, you, you know, sometimes you spend a little more, sometimes you spend a little less. But, you know, people have their habits of, what of how they spend their money. And I don't think many people, when they get their internet and they, dis- and they discover that they can download any type of media, and it's usually not, you can download like a DVD and it's full DVD, eight gigs of information. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody's cop made a dupe of that DVD and you're downloading an actual just like cloned copy of it. You can do that. But you know what? You're going to wait months if you're the normal, you know, if you have just a norm- normal high speed Internet connection, even you're going to be your computer's going to be tied up downloading that stupid thing forever and it's just easier to rent it or to to buy it you right. know and not go through the and then you still and you have the nice case with the cover art and and all that and not go through the process of burning it and or or you know or, and if you want to download it quickly it's in a condensed you know sort of high quality picture but not you know not up to the DVD quality and it's it's there to watch and you right. watch it and it's sort of disposable and if it's a movie you really love and you're going to buy like most people just buy movies that they really like and are going to watch over and over again 
it's worth it to get it with the director's, com you know, to pay the money and you get the director's commentary and the behind the scenes and the extras. And, uh, you know, now that DVDs are out, if you notice that at the beginning, there were always all kinds of extras and now they get kind of lazy with the extras because it costs more to put the extras on. But that's what people buy it for. Absolutely. And and they get lazy on that. And um, They've got to stop being lazy about that because that's what makes the people exactly. that can't readily find it on the internet, that's what makes them actually seek out and buy well, this, the disc is when there's extras. And to me, that goes for anything from a movie to music. I mean, again, you know, getting back to the music thing, if you want to get me to buy the album, you know, Give me, give me something worth buying, you know. Throwing a, a, a disc together that, you know, has 30 to 40 minutes of music on it, you know, for, for $16, you know, to me, it's just not enough of an incentive. You know, you can throw some extras on there. You can put, some, you know, a little booklet well, in there with, I mean, whatever happened to liner notes? The last well, several albums I ever bought didn't even have any liner notes, you know, nothing. I mean, there's nothing. A track listing I, yeah, and credits. Yeah, and that's it. And you know that to me is not that's not worth my money. It's not. And well, you know you, you brought up an excellent point about you know the the finding DVDs and that sort of thing online. I mean to me, you know, a couple of years ago I didn't even have a computer, and uh, you know I did a brief stint. I worked for a while for Best Buy, and while I was working there, one day I, I came into work. And a kid that I, you know, much younger than me that I worked with comes in, he hands me three discs. He goes, here, take these home, tell me what you think of them. You know, it doesn't tell me what's on them, what it is or anything. You know, it's just I know that they're DV or they're uh, something that he wants me to play in my DVD player. So I take him home, I pop it in, and I'm immediately blown away. It is, and I, at the time I didn't even know what a screener copy was. Uh-huh. It's a screener for Lord of the Rings, which had just that week opened at the local theater. So here in my own living room, I'm watching a DVD quality copy of Lord of the Rings that that's just that same week opened up at the movie theater. And I'm like, whoa, what the, you know, it just totally blew me away, you know? So, I mean, off of that, because someone downloaded this thing and handed it to me, suddenly I get an interest in a whole new movie franchise that I never would have even thought about going to. I don't like Sword and Sorcery. I don't like that kind of movie. But I enjoyed that movie enough to where... You know, I, I went to the theater and saw it. I saw both of the sequels in the theater. You know, I've, I've since purchased, you know, stuff that's come out related to the movies. I eventually bought a computer and all the bullshit that goes with a computer. Uh-huh. <laughs> all because someone handed me that screener copy. Now, to me, you know... Does does that sort of outweigh what he did? The fact that, yeah, well, I'll tell you what, revenue was lost because my ass wasn't in the theater seat and neither was his for that viewing. 
but then look at what was generated off of that that never would have happened if I hadn't seen that screener copy. And I, those are the kind of moral dilemmas I wonder if they're even being taken into consideration in this whole argument. Well, certainly <clears throat> Lord of the Rings didn't lose money. <laughs> oh, Lord of the Rings is one of the biggest blockbusters of all time. People went to see it multiple times. And I think basically the it leaking out as a screener onto the internet. Um, and I had a similar experience. I was in New York City and I actually walked into the front of CBGB's when it was still there, and the doorman had a big old TV, and he was playing Lord of the Rings on it. And uh, I started asking him about it, and he got very defensive about, and he was just like, you know, are you going to pay to come in here or not? And then, then I left. But um, I can't remember where I was going with this. <laughs> <laughs> I got sidelined at CBGB's, Wait. which a lot of people have. Well, you know... To me, a, a, a very similar argument for me is the Walking Dead comic book series by Image. You know, to me, I would argue that that comic, the, the success that that comic book has found is largely due to the file sharing community. I know that that's how I discovered the series. I know of a lot of people that discovered the series through FileShare because that sure. was a series that came out. You know, there wasn't any fanfare. It just kind of came out. And suddenly there was like an underground fan movement, you know, that, that latched onto the series. And it was one of those word of mouth things. Man, have you read this? You know, and people started yep. passing it around the internet. You know, there was a lot of buzz and a lot of interest. But as soon as it started to gain popularity, man, those early issues disappeared. You couldn't find the first several issues of that series. So the only way to get in on the ground floor, and you know, these were in the you know the the early issues before you know the first trades, before any sort of collections, before any reprints. Yeah. The only way to get in on the ground floor of this brand new comics phenomenon was to download it through the internet or have it sent to you by friends through the internet. That's how I discovered it. And again, it comes down to that Lord of the Rings argument. I, I, would, re I would love to talk to Robert Kirkman and find out from him his personal view on this. Is it better you know, for him to be cut a paycheck from me because you know I discovered that series through downloading illegally illegally <laughs> through downloading it but now I love it I've subscribed I've tracked down every back issue that I can possibly get my hands on which is just about the whole series I'm faithful I will read that book till he's off of it you know or to have taken the moral high ground, you know, that, that highfalutin, look-down-your-nose attitude that so many people seem to have all over the forums and everywhere else of, oh, it's just so wrong, I, I won't do it, can't do it. Yes. And then I never discover it, and Robert Kirkman never gets my three bucks every month. Now, I would bet you, just by sensing the man through his letter columns and different th things... I would bet you he's happy to have my three bucks every month and he's he's happy to, you know, kind of, you know, spot me those first three or four issues. That's my gut. Now, I could be dead wrong, 
Well, but that—that's what my gut tells me on that whole thing. That you know, now this this brings me to a type of person, the humper. I'm I'm uh, I'm going to write a book called the Douchebag Dictionary, <laughs> and one type of person is going to be the humpers, and. You're not behave when you when you act like that. You're not behaving like a humper. The humpers are the people who see something good, whether it be something free or something just a good thing, and they just suck the life out of it by getting you know, getting as much out of it as they can without contributing or giving back anything. They just they're vampires. They just grab onto it and suck it dry, mm-hmm. and um. They draw. They 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 end up being the people who get the file sharing communities in trouble because they're the ones who start abusing it right. and and causing you know there'll be a huge all of a sudden you know something will become very prominent because a huge amount of people who don't really understand it have joined it and started abusing it and then that calls attention to it and it gets shut down which is basically what happened with Napster. You know, Napster was a neat thing where people could communicate with each other, and you know, I learned about a whole lot, lots of different kinds of music and all sorts of different things. Talking to people, and I was talking to people from all over the world. You know, communicating with them, and 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 when I use Napster, I put my most obscure, hard to find music up there and I put music that I'd made myself up there that I actually had copyright control of because I wanted people to hear it and then all of a sudden and I would use a few you know commercial mp3s of stuff that I liked that I knew would draw people in that would maybe like my type of music because I'm influenced by these bands so it became a tool almost for 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 publicity and for just for getting getting my art disseminated right and it was amazing you know i was very very excited about it and then it gets destroyed over of all things metallica because the guys in metallica are stupid as fucking rocks and didn't understand the idea of it and just had a knee jerk reaction of Oh my God! They're ripping off our money. We have to stop this. And I personally think they were kind of tools of the record industry. I think you know they're some some suit at the at their label got them all riled up and said, you know, you guys got to be on the forefront of of stopping this, you know. And meanwhile, so they start finding a list of all the people who are trading Metallica songs so they can go after them, and they're basically getting a list of their own fans. You know, they have a big list of their own fans, and then you, and to start taking your own fans to court is really a, a, a it just doesn't seem like a good idea. Maybe if it's one or two fans that are causing trouble in some way or something like that, but, you, you know, I don't understand the concern over that when they should be concerned more over the guys who bootleg the movie make it into a DVD and go sell it on the street corner and start making money on it. Exactly. That's that's not happening on the internet. You know, there used to be at the beginning there would be people who would have these sort of accounts. I don't I I've never done this, but I know people who have, so I don't really understand how it worked. But you know, they would the people would allow them access to their files for a certain amount of time if they put 
a certain amount of money into their PayPal account. So people would be paying them for like bulk downloads off a really fast download. And I always thought that was kind of shady. But I think that sort that's of how the news ended. I, I've yeah, yeah. I've, I've been hit with that before. On I, I use news groups a bit for you know mostly uh, obscure stuff. A lot of uh, like obscure Disney TV shows from the past and things like that. And every once in a while, I get shit from people because something won't come through really good on a post, and I'll ask them for a repost and. Inevitably, I get, you know, the, well, you know, if you paid for such and such service, then, you know, you'd have perfect retention and you wouldn't ever have to, you know, ask for a repost. Well, you know, for one thing, I'm paying whatever the hell I'm paying for my internet service, which is astro-fucking-nomical to begin with, so why would I pay for another thing? But also, like you say, that does seem a little bit shady to me, you know, that you're you're paying yeah. for something that's basically illegal to begin with. It's more piracy. Yeah, exactly. It's it's you're you're profiting you're profiting off someone else's work, yeah. rather than you know, that rather than has just gone getting it the for free of, than just sharing file it. Sharing. Oh, that's well, that's that's where the and and in cases like that, the FBI gets involved. You know that 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 there's been precedents and they know what to do in cases like that. You know that's that that's a holy. The, the whole piracy thing and I think downloading by providing it as for free takes money right out of the pirates pockets out of the illegal market and you know probably when you're funding pirates you're probably funding you know all kinds of hard drugs and organized crime and stuff like right. that so that money's not going into a good place so there's really really good reasons not to feed the the pirates but um, I think we should take a break now and come back and we'll get more into uh, the aspects of this that really rile both of us up. I know we'll, I'll be uh, trying to get you, get you a little fired up too <laughs> in the next one. I know there's a couple topics coming up that uh, really get your oh, goat, grind your gears. And now it's time to All waste right, some we'll space in, in your brain with pain. Attack of the killer tomatoes. Attack of the killer tomatoes. They'll beat you, bash you, squish you, mash you, chew you up for brunch, and finish you off for dinner or lunch. They're marching down the halls. They're crawling up the walls. They're gooey, gushy, squishy, mossy, rotten to the core. They're standing outside your door. Remember Herbert Barbage While taking out his garbage He turned around and he did see Tomatoes hiding in his tree Now he's just a memory I know I'm going to miss her A tomato ain't my sister Sacramento fell today They're marching into San Jose Tomatoes are on their way Vacation. The governor's fed a nation. The police have gone on strike today. The National Guard has run away. Tomatoes will have their day. Attack of the killer tomatoes. Attack of the killer tomatoes. 
twist your back, you chew you up for brunch, and finish you off for dinner or lunch. And now here's the part where we both get really fired up. I'm going to start firing myself up, and then hopefully <laughs> I'm going to start working on you. Well, I'm sure you can fire yourself up, but I'll try to toss some coal, in, coal into the fire. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> that was a shitty impression. <laughs> I was just trying You st stupid idiots. All right. Um... Where I, where, the the thing about this whole thing that gets me angry is, or that that I get the most passionate about is, basically, I'm pretty much I pretty much hear the world's smallest violin player playing for the music industry, for the movie industry, for all that, <laughs> you know, because I think they've not only taken they've taken advantage of the artists that produce their bread and butter. But they've taken, they've, they've squeezed every cent out of the consumer too. So, basically, I look at the record industry as they're the middleman. They're the middleman between art, whether that's entertainment art or whatever. I, I, I view, you know, the most entertaining popcorny movie as a form of art, whether it be pop art or whatever. There's an artist who made it, somebody who envisioned it and created it, that wants me to see it. And, and then you have the middlemen who figure out how I'm going to pay to see it and how they're going to get my money. And it seems to me that the middleman is getting the just the you know the hugest lump of the money and they're not they're slacking on their job. They're thinking of it as more of a way they're taking art and applying commerce to it and you just end up it's never a good thing. You know, it's like mixing politics and religion at the Christmas table conversation. And uh, so I, I I started really getting pissed off when CDs first started coming out. And, and you know, it was a really neat. Everyone, All of a sudden, you know, I, I remember the first CD I saw was um, Discovery by ELO at, oh. the, at, at a record store. And I was like, oh, my God, look, it's on a little the compact disc. Oh, my God, that's amazing. And... Uh, you know, it was it was sort of so, you know a compact disc player at that time was probably like fifteen hundred bucks or something ridiculous at that time. So only like rich people with toys would have a copy of it. But eventually, you know, they started thinking CDs are going to replace records, and your record store was all of a sudden filled with CDs. And records, a brand new record, was anywhere from seven ninety nine to nine ninety nine if it was a single record and and from twelve ninety nine to sixteen ninety nine as a double record. All of a sudden, CDs were popping up. They were starting at sixteen ninety nine, twenty bucks, and it was expensive. And, and the industry said, "Well, you know, we're we're just switching over to CDs. We have to wait till more people get CD players, and it becomes a more mass production issue, and then we can start charging less because." Basically, to, to the difference between producing a vinyl record and a CD as far as raw materials is is astronomical. You know, a CD only costs a few pennies. It's just a few pennies worth of plastic with some foil in between. 
Right. And so, so basically, the cost of putting out a once once they started mass producing CDs, the cost of putting out the product went way down. But they started seeing that people were still paying sixteen ninety nine, and once people were paying sixteen ninety nine, what was their interest at all in lowering that price to reflect, you know, the low the, the lowering in the production value? There was none. Why why do that? It, all of a sudden, you can make more money. And I don't think the artist was making any more money. There, the middleman made more money, and. Uh, so all of a sudden, no more records, you have CDs, and the price is just sort of staying the same and has always stayed the same. And I'm the, I, I don't know, do I have a better memory than most people or something? But I remember them saying, you know, as these are mass produced, the price of them will go down. I do remember And it that. never happened. It was just like the first time I started paying attention to politics, it was when Ronald Reagan got elected and he said, if you elect me, I'll balance the budget. In my first term, <laughs> and then the second term, the budget was like ten times what it was. You know, it was in it was in deficit ten times more than. And I, and I remember well, you thinking, know, what's what's funny is you're right because everything around CDs, all the technology, all the support, the players, the blank CDs when they eventually came out. You know, all of the support products, your CD burners, your DVD burners, your DVD players, your blank DVDs, all the stuff around the product did eventually start very high and went down. Went down really but low. The product, but the product itself has never gone down. And this is actually one of my biggest pet peeves. You know, as soon as they started with their whole war on piracy and downloading and blah, 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 you know, and they started crying about how their profits were being cut into, you know, cry me a fucking river as far as I'm concerned. I don't buy that whole argument anyway. And I think it has been statistically proved now that they actually have not been losing any money. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I've heard that. It probably anyway, depends on who you're talking to. Well, you know, even if that were true, all right, say say for the moment that it is true. Say that, that, that all this downloading has seriously cut into their profits and really hurt them, right? Oh. Uh, but say that it has, okay? All right. Take the same argument for the automobile industry, right? Mm -hmm. All this shit going on with the gas prices is putting a serious hurt on all the car dealerships across America, right? But you don't go to the car dealership and see where, you know, now the same car that last week cost, you know, $15,000, suddenly it costs $18,000 because the car dealership is losing money. No, they're losing money. They're hurting for business. They're putting the price of that thing down as seriously low as they can without losing, you know, without money losing on it money. because they need to still be, you know, selling these things. Why has that same logic not applied to the music industry, to the movie industry? You know, you, you look at CDs, in my opinion, they were never a great product to begin with as far as the content. And now... They have gone from, you know, some of the early CDs that I bought, while I was never really happy with as far as the content, at least, you know, they used to come in a, a long package you know, with beautiful artwork, you know, very close to what the original, if they were ever out on an album, you know, a, a, a record, 
they looked very similar to the record style album. It was a much bigger package. And sometimes there'd be a booklet or some sort of freebies inside of it. You know, there was something a little more value added. And then over time, as their profits supposedly caught in, you know, got cut into, not only did the package get shittier and shittier and shittier to eventually now all you've really got is, you know, in a lot of instances, a low quality disc in there with not a lot of content, a very short running time. And, you know, little more than a jewel case with a paper insert. But then a lot of places have started to crank the price up. You know, the, the manufacturer puts the price up, so the retailer puts the price up. So now, wait a minute, you're charging me more money for less products. Of course. Because people aren't buying your product because they can get it for free. Where where the fuck is the logic there? Does that there make is, sense? They don't operate by logic. They don't... They, oh, they, I, 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 I... Told, I... I this, you may take this as a joke. I think they're all on cocaine. I think all <laughs> those... All those executives are, have fried their brains with cocaine oh, because they've made so much money. Whatever. <laughs> Anyway, I think they're nuts, but there has to be some explanation why they react so incredibly ignorantly to every. So, so all of a sudden they're losing, they're losing money. They're they're worried about file sharing. They're worried about this and that, and they're putting out shitty product. You know what? The, the next thing they do is they they punish the consumer more by making a shittier project product by. All of a sudden, trying to put these new forms of copyright protection on it. So all of a sudden, you're getting the new YouTube CD, and you pop it in your computer, and it ins to listen to it, and it installs a piece of spyware in there to make sure you're not sharing it with somebody, or to see, to trace what you're doing with it, or uh, or they make a, C you know, you get like CDs that you maybe can run a copy out, one copy off in your computer. Or two copies, and then all of a sudden it won't work because they've installed some sort of piece of software in there. Anyway, none of this stuff really worked. It, it just would end up screwing up your computer. They had to take money back from a bunch of bands that put out CDs with this copyright protection on it. That was putting in spyware that had backdoors where viruses could get in and hackers could get in. It was, it was just a mess. It was like when they tried to do that with video cassettes and, and put a weak control track in it. So if you tried to copy that video, it would come out crappy. Well, the control track would be so crappy that when you were just trying to play it, the video would just rhythmically fuck up and then come back. It was the most annoying thing in the world. And, that, and you were watching it thinking, wow, they're punishing me. For something that I'm not, I'm not trying to copy this. I'm just trying to watch it, and it's, and you know, and it's not because so many people were copying it. They were just going crazy and trying to stop all these people that were gonna somehow cut off their entire financial livelihood. And as as far as I'm concerned, they don't deserve the 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 livelihood that they have. I would love to see the record industry, the movie industry, I'd love to see them go down. I'd love to see them go down and be replaced by whatever comes next because they're dinosaurs and they've been they've been ripping off people long enough and they've been just sort of fouling up by fouling up art 
in the you know my breaking point where this finally came to a head and this idea came to a fine point to me was when the movie Garfield 2 came out. <laughs> All right. Not Garfield not just Garfield 1 was bad enough. It was sort of the the whole idea was like 20 years too late if you were going to make a Garfield movie. But now they've got the technology to do Garfield right, goddammit. And then that came out, and it got sort of stomped on by the critics, and I didn't think it made a lot of money or anything, but somehow it must have, because all of a sudden Garfield 2 Electric Boogaloo or whatever it was comes out, and... And oh, all the, and they got Bill Murray back as the voice of Gar- Bill Murray is the voice of Garfield. Why? Why Bill Murray? Why? And why for a second time? Do you I've need got that to paycheck you, that I, bad? I've, I've got to. I've just got to divert you here for a moment to ask you. You know, do you not have someone near you who has like a blunt instrument they could hit you with or something because there are much easier ways to injure your brain than subjecting yourself to Garfield 2. I'm just curious about that. <laughs> I, You know, I, I have not watched Garfield 2 oh, because okay. it repulses me in just the concept of it. The idea <laughs> of it. I know it's not a good movie. I know it's not a good movie. It's not even a guilty pleasure. Garfield 1 wasn't even a guilty pleasure. You know what? I downloaded Garfield 1 that, <laughs> because, the, you know, God damn it, I am not going to give them money. I will not encourage that. And hey, you know what? If I would have downloaded Garfield 1 and watched it and been like, you know what? That was actually a really good movie. I would have gone to the theater and paid for it out of principle. Because I had such bad expectations of it, I would have felt bad. But no, you know what? It was a piece of shit. And then when Garfield 2 comes out, and I start thinking about all this money, all the starving people in the world, all the people who need help, and the millions of millions of dollars that were spent on this movie securing Bill Murray, um, you know making all the CG for Garfield and paying all the the crew and catering and the you know the local police to watch the to close off the street and everything that the production and post-production and and physically you know using the oil to make this the film that you the plastic film that you're gonna put it on all that resources getting dumped into Garfield 2. Why? <coughs> millions of dollars. What could that millions of dollars be used for? There's any number of things. Now they don't have gym. They don't have music or art classes in school. But we have Garfield 2. God damn it. Send the kids to Garfield 2. <laughs> And at that point, I said, you know what? I don't care. Die. Just die. If you're going to produce Garfield 2, you don't deserve to live. And I'm sure the artists there who are contributing to all this, the ones who are real artists and not just, you know, I want to make money, you know, the ones who aren't cranking out Garfield 2, you know, and have maybe even had success, the, you know, the Coppola's and... Any, any filmmaker that's had had some success in Hollywood, they're probably pretty happy with it, but at the same time, they're 
battle scarred from from the whole game of it. I'm sure they would love to see the industry go down in some new way more controlled by the artists coming into into play and whether that's unrealistic or not I don't care because I'd just love to see what else comes next because something something's something's coming next you can tell that's cuz the internet is is this ultimate form of dissemination of information and it's it's revolutionary and we're living in a time like the industrial revolution where we're in the in the internet revolution where things are going to be done differently because things will be different and there's a lot of old ways of doing things that are going to have to be discarded and I think the record industry is one of them and good riddance and you know what all the people who've made all that money in there they've made enough to retire go ahead and just retire have some fun with your life you know hang out with your kids you know hang out with your wife maybe you can save your marriage maybe check into rehab <laughs> you know <laughs> go join the moonies anything do something fun go on vacation and go cliff diving you know just stop <laughs> stop no more garfield 2 please <laughs> You don't have to. You don't need any more cocaine. You don't need any more money. You're fine. You can do that for the rest of your life. Ah. And so, but I still buy, I still go to the movies. I'm still gonna, you know, I still, I'm gonna spend my entertainment budget and, you know, and, you know, I can't, uh, comic books, I can't really put them into the, you know, the comic book industry, whatever. I'm sure there's things at Marvel and DC that are very corporate, but it's pretty much a scrappy dog. So I, I, you know, I would, I would be more concerned with people downloading comic books, but I don't think people download comic books in lieu of, of buying them. Because oh, there are. I mean, oh, there, yeah, there's, there's the humpers there's in that, the humpers. too. But there's but, always a percentage of people who are like that no matter what. And if they couldn't download them for free, they're not going to buy them anyway because they're cheap right, ass. Right. So most people who like comic books and the people who are the backbone of how comic books get sold are collectors in some degree or fashion. That You know, there's having reading a comic book. Like, actually, I just read The Walking Dead number 48 on as as a CBR file that that I downloaded because I couldn't find it at the comic shop so I came home and uh I bought it off eBay. I found a, uh, you know, it was basically it was Lone Star Comics on eBay, the first place I ever ordered a comic book from. Now I'm ordered it off eBay and um there are they're a good company too. I've used them before. So it's it's going to be you know it's going to be a couple weeks probably before it shows up in my door. Meanwhile, I've got issue forty nine staring me in the nose, and I want to read it. See that that leads into a perfect point of mine is that you know again, if you miss that issue, what what's the likelihood that you're going to continue to read that book if 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 you hadn't gotten that file? Right. You know, to, to continue that storyline, well, I mean, more than likely, wouldn't you drop it after a while if you miss so, so many? Because that's a series where you pretty much have to read every, every yeah, issue to yeah. know what the hell is going on. Yeah. And a lot of shit went down in number 48. I mean, yeah. spoilers for anybody who hasn't read it, but most of the friggin' cast gets killed. So, 
you know, if you suddenly pick up number 49 without having read number 48, you're pretty much going to be lost because there's a major shift in story focus and locale and characters. And, you know, that, that to me, is one of my biggest bitches and, and just sources of fucking aggravation with these people. You know, to me... I read a lot of posts online in the online community, the different forums and stuff. There's always a thread about comic book downloading. Here's my take. For better or worse, I know I'm going to get email about this, but here's my take on it. You people that go on there and condemn everybody that does it or anybody that does it, you guys need to step off your fucking high horse about it. Because... When you guys go on there and post in mass, it in, invariably looks like the majority of the online community is very opposed to any sort of downloading. I say bullshit. I say what it is is you've intimidated the people that actually would go on and make any sort of defense of downloading stuff to the point where they don't want to post because they're afraid of getting pig-piled on the whole thing. And I see it happen time and time again. You'll have 50 people that post how horrible it is and I would never even think about doing such a thing. And you have one poor honest bastard that'll ring in and say, you know what, I do it. And then you got another 150 posts of people calling him a son of a bitch and the son of Satan because he's doing it. That That's horseshit. I don't buy it at all that the majority of the comic fans in the 21st century aren't occasionally, at least, downloading the free comic book. I don't fucking buy it. If you're sitting at a computer and you're using it on a regular basis and you're a comic book fan and you're going to forums and you're buying books and you're trying to keep up with all the bullshit that's going on in both the Marvel and the DC Universe, not to mention any of the other publishers, and you tell me that you don't occasionally seek out a free issue to keep up with a particular storyline, I'm going to call you a fucking liar. And that's just the truth of it. You're telling me that when you read Civil War and the nine million fucking spinoffs that that book had, that you never sought out a free issue to find out what the hell was going on with the Civil <laughs> War event and some shitty fucking third-rate book that you don't, wouldn't normally read or pick up. You're telling me you never did that? I don't. I just don't buy it. I don't believe that argument. Now, I'm not saying that I don't think that there are people that don't stick to a certain moral code and don't ever do it. Now, I'm sure that there are. And, you know, bully for them. That's great. I, I, I applaud your morality. But what I'm talking about is I don't believe that the vast majority have never done it and will never. I, I don't buy that bullshit argument at all. Don't tell me that the majority is opposed to it. I, I, I just I can't wrap my mind around it. Let me Because the shit's out there for free. Whether you think it's wrong, whether you think it's right, whether you're morally grayed on the whole thing, it's out there and it's free. And I refuse to believe that there aren't the vast majority of people aren't aren't taking advantage at least from time to time, dipping their toe into that well. Oh yeah, I, I, that's oh, a yeah. bullshit. Argument. Well, let, let let me just say something here. Let, uh, Everybody knows that the main financial driving point of the internet, the, the most money that gets spent on the internet, gets spent on pornography. 
which is proving... That's what I bought a computer for. That, which is proving... <laughs> at least you admit it. Hey, I, I will freely admit it. Well, I, I think that's... Hey, look, no. I worked at Best Buy. I worked at Best Buy for a little over a year. And some of that I worked in the computer area. <laughs> some of it I worked in the stocking area. And the majority of it I worked as head of customer service. And I'm telling you right now that the majority of people that either bought a computer or brought their fucked up uh, computer in for service in the geek department was because of pornography. Okay. Two so, things created the, the internet. Pornography and Star Trek created and, the internet. And Al Gore. No, fuck <laughs> So anyway, all these people, all Global these... Global warming my ass. I froze to death this past winter, and I live in Georgia, for Christ's sake. Global warming. Where do I sign up? All the, uh... All the, um... Now you got... Now, now, I'm, now I'm losing my... I'm so sorry. I you, just you totally messed you, me up, man, with, you're with, your, with your global warming rant. <laughs> All these people who are downloading their po- pornography, the majority of men on the internet, who, who probably have their file sharing program, and, okay, if they're telling the truth, they're not downloading that Superman comic, that Civil War comic, but they are downloading their their spanky movies... Do they not consider that copyright? Do do they not feel for the poor pornographer in California who needs... Because it's an evil industry. Who needs their money. Yeah, because sex is bad. And and it's it's so much easier to download lots of porn in the safety of my house and go out to some sleazy porno shop and indulge all their vices. But, you know... Uh, you know, don't they f- think of the poor pornographer in California whose, who's, you know, stable of women need silicon implants and, you know, they need that money. And he's downloading it for, you know, they're downloading it for free, but not that comic book. I think they should just think about that. <laughs> well, I think it comes down to a, a thing of, you know, you have to look at it this way. Yes, there's a legality to the whole thing, and yes, we're probably shouldn't be doing it. But you know, the people that really piss me off on this thing is the is again the people that really get on their high horse about the whole thing. You know, nobody is 100% perfectly legal all the time. Somebody always does something wrong. You know, I'm I'm sure that there's somebody out there talking about your argument about humpers that are going. You know, what the hell is the difference between them? They're breaking the law the same thing as you are. Well, the difference is is that the humpers are taking full advantage of the situation. They are looking at the internet as a free fucking smorgasbord, and they're going to download every possible thing they can for free because it's free, and they're not contributing anything. They're not buying. They're not selling. They're not contributing to the overall commerce. Yeah, exactly. A lot of them don't do that. The difference here is the difference between the common man who might sit at a red light for five minutes and go, you know what, there's nobody else around, fuck this light, and drive through it because he needs to get to work on time, and the difference between somebody who drives around doing drive-by shootings and killing innocent people. What's the fucking difference? They're both illegal, right? Well, there is a major difference here, and it's the difference between the people who are occasionally downloading something 
you know, like me, I mean, my downloading consists of basically dipping my toe into a certain, you know, pool to see if I like the water, you know? And if I like it, then I generally do try to contribute and, and buy that product or, or, you know, subscribe to that book or whatever the deal is, you know, as opposed to these humpers that are just, you know, free, 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 gimme, gimme, gimme. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. I you know, think and they're that... a vast minority too. I think they're just a few oh, yeah. people. They're just like, they're like, you know, there's, there's a lot of assholes in society. There's a good portion of society as far as I'm concerned are assholes. But the people who are truly just like at very assholeish are really a small percent. And they, they make a big impression because they're just so much more so than everybody else around them. But they're, they're the ones that end up getting all the publicity and all the attention because right. they're making the most noise. They're the most obvious and and ridiculous, you know, infractors. Infractors. Doors. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know. And so, I mean, to me, it, it, it basically comes down. There's there's two things that I would, I would like to see come out of this argument. I'd like to see a lot more honesty in the online community, a lot less of this, you know, universal condemning and, and the people that really are doing it not being willing to or, or not really being allowed to come forward and, and voice their argument for fear of condemnation but more than anything I would really like to see the industries that keep crying that they're so affected by this you know the, the music industry the the movie industry and now supposedly the comic book industry you know step up to the plate well, you know, if, if you'll produce a quality product at a reasonable price, you'll give me what I want and give it to me at a price that's not insulting my intelligence or my my wallet and my budget in these trying times economically. You know what? I, I'm more than happy to fork out the yep. cash. But, you know, the $3 comic book, a lot of them, you know, that, you know, a perfect example of something that just fucking gets my goat. You know, DC should never ever ever get on my shit about ever downloading a free comic again when they put out something like uh jim lee's batman run that was so praised and so lauded and blah 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 it was such a work of art you know what that fucking series was that was 12 or so issues however long that run was of fucking splash pages that's all that shit was why people hold that up in such regard kills me you know here you've got a book that's however much it was at the time three bucks takes you two seconds to read it you know where where's the quality what what the hell have i paid for when it's just a series of strung together splash pages you paid for just an item a collector's item that you and put in that you put in so you can put it in with the other items and you don't have a missing space there that's what you just yeah, paid and, for and that's bullshit or an invest or an investment in the future you didn't pay for you didn't pay for the content of it. You paid for the idea of it. And that's what's bugging me about so much of this argument when it comes to these three mediums, you know, of, of the music, movies, and, and comics is, you know, I'm not a humper. I'm not somebody that's out there just downloading for free because I can download for free. I'm downloading for free, 
you know, when it comes to music, nine times out of ten, I'm getting something that's I just can't get commercially. I can't pay for it because it's not there to be paid for. A lot of the same way with with the videos that I download. You know, it's stuff that's never been produced. It's stuff that's rare. You can't find it anywhere else. Things like that. And then when it comes to comics, I mean, it's pretty much because. I've missed an issue, or I'm trying to fill in something so that I can continue to subscribe. Because I tell you what, you know, after collecting for 30 years, and I read so many different books, and I'm into so many different storylines and everything. If I miss an issue now, if I'm not able to find it to download it to keep the story going, I'm just going to drop the friggin' book because I hate chasing down back issues. There's just too much shit on my personal want list. To have to go out and waste、yes. time trying to find the latest、There's、issue of Dirt that I happen to miss at the、yeah. friggin' newsstand, you know. So if I can download it, you know, an issue or, or whatever to keep that storyline going, so that I can continue to contribute to that book by subscribing to it, then should I feel bad about that? I, I don't think so because it, you know, I'm doing it so that I can continue to to read it and and buy that book or. Or get into a book to buy, but I'm telling you, if I if I miss an issue, then I, I'm never going to contribute because I've missed it. The hell with it. I'll find something else to read. You know, so that to me is where that argument falls flat. You know. Well, as far as I'm concerned, <clears throat> I'm not even as repentant as you. I I, I won't I won't、uh, even try to rationalize. I just do it. You know, I just do it as I see fit. And you know what? I mean, there's only so much time in a day to watch or listen to media, and the amount of I could download thousands of hard drives worth of movies and records and have them all lined up, and I'd never have enough time to watch or listen to all of them.、Mm-hmm. And and at the same time, I'm always spending this.、Uh, you know, I'm still spending money on movies and CDs and DVDs because. I want the I want that package. A, a, a DVD I buy at a store is put together, but it's made with a different process than my burned DVD, which will die in a couple years anyway, and may not look that as good as the beautiful digitally mastered picture on the one I'm going to buy. So I'm going to buy it. There's only so many DVDs and CDs and movies I can afford to go to. So once that budget's gone. You know, if I have to see something bad enough, you know, I'll make sure I see it, and I see nothing wrong with that. And I think that's the direction that we're heading in.、Right. And at the same time, it also gives me a little more power because now I choose. Now I have more of a choice of who I spend my money on. So when one of my favorite obscure bands, Camper Van Beethoven, comes out with a new album. I'm gonna go, or, or another my the, my favorite rap band, Public Enemy. They come out with a new album, and they're on their own label. I'll go out to, I'll go down the street to Barnes and Noble and special order them through Barnes and Noble, just so they, so that Barnes and Noble has a has a little tag of those two records selling one, and then I'm supporting both of those musicians also. Right. And the and and.、Uh, Say for some reason I wanted the new Britney Spears album,、Ugh. I'm gonna download it because it's a mass marketed thing. I could get, Britney Spears certainly doesn't need any more money, 
Unless you want her dead, and then you throw more money at her and she'll polish herself off. But either way, you know, that, you know, if, if I can control where that budget I have goes to, and I can send it to somebody that I think is needs it more or I like more than something else, if, if, I'll tell you what, if I ever watch another Jerry Bruckheimer movie, it's gonna be a download. Because his movies suck. But sometimes I'm curious to see it. I think, wasn't uh, 10,000 BC or whatever, Jerry Bruckheimer, I hear it's a horrible movie. But I want to check it out to see how horrible it is. But I certainly don't want to pay any money for it, nor should I. I should not encourage Jerry Bruckheimer in any way. Because he's a hack. He's not an artist. He's somebody who hacks together whatever he thinks is going to sell at the at that time and then publicizes it really well and spends a lot of money on but oh, oh that's another whole that's another whole episode right there <laughs> well, but i think i think that about i think we've about hit every major uh point that we wanted to make and got it and all let, out of your system now let out every little bit of bile that was <laughs> that was on it and uh so you know, two true freaks at gmail.com if Absolutely. you have anything to say. Or uh, maybe by this time we'll have some sort of forum set up, you know, or where you can go to. And, and if we do, I'll we'll tag on at the end of the show, which is I, soon. I think, I think people may wonder why we picked this as a first topic. And, and it was calculated because it's something we feel very passionately about. But also it's a side of the argument that we don't think is getting enough play, that we don't think is getting enough you know, talk. And so we wanted to kind of present the other side of the argument. So please, you know, if you agree, if you don't agree, you think we're full of shit, you want to shoot holes in our arguments, you want to pat us on the back, you want to cart us off to jail, whatever. You know, two true freaks at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we'll be back next week. With our uh, stunning, epic retrospective of Steven Spielberg's films titled, Has Steven Spielberg Ever Made a Bad Movie? Fireworks aplenty. <laughs> let's, let's just say there's a, there's a disagreement on this, <laughs> on this subject. There is a disagreement. But that'll be next week. And, uh... For the next week, we'll still be freaks. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Walt Hadley.